He looked back at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It would be my privilege to defend the Nazi. It would be my privilege to defend Charles Manson. People are interested in crime. There's no getting around it, and Americans love violence. Coming to a brothel, you're having the full fantasy experience with somebody who knows, let's say, that there's five different ways to give a handjob plus. You know, talk to me about morality. Shut up. I tell you where you can stick your morality, man. Hi, guys, and welcome to Unfiltered, the podcast. I'm Brian Praskany, the producer and director of the series, and with me as always... Joy Zell, co-producer of the series. And, uh, of course, we have our engineer, editor, Felix, with us. And we have a new addition, uh, our intern that has started and joined the team with us, Destiny. Say hello, Destiny. Give, give a shout-out. Hey, I don't know if you're going to hear that. I don't know if you, said, yeah, but, but she said, said hi. She said hi. Yeah, today we have a little bit of a racy episode. Um, we're going to be discussing the oldest profession in the world, right? And what is that? And that is sex work. Sex work. And in particular, prostitution. Prostitution. A little while back, we had the pleasure of visiting one of the most prominent legal brothels in the state of Nevada, uh, Sherry's Ranch. And it's which, the most expensive, right? And the most expensive, yeah. It's located about uh, just an hour uh, outside of Las Vegas, uh, which I guess is part of the reason why it's the most expensive. Most of the other brothels located in Nevada that most people hear about, like the Moonlight Bunny Ranch and stuff, they're all located in Reno, which is actually, for people that don't realize, is kind of a little bit of a hike from Vegas. This brothel in particular is located in Pahrump, the town of Pahrump, uh, which is, uh, like I said, just an hour outside of Vegas. And because of its close proximity to Vegas, it kind of deals with a higher clientele that isn't going to travel right to um, Reno. And also, it kind of allows you to have sort of an impromptu if, uh, if you hit it big in Vegas and uh, you decide you want to go to a brothel without, without getting on a plane or something, uh, then that's what the go to Sherry's. Sherry's Ranch is there for you. But we had a great time. We were able to sit down with the madam of Sherry's Ranch. Uh, her name is Dina, a very nice, lovely woman, and maybe not what you're expecting when you picture a madam who runs a brothel. Anybody can go to a bar and pick up a drunk person and bang it out and have a very sloppy experience. It is what it is, and it's nothing memorable. Are you probably going to call this person or do it again? Probably not. But coming to a brothel, you're having the full fantasy experience with somebody who knows what they're doing, who knows, let's say, that there's five different ways to give a handjob plus. My name is Dina, and I am the madam of Sherry's Ranch. A madam does a wide variety of things. Two major focuses for me is to get ladies in that are looking to be in the sex industry, to be a sex worker, and help to guide them and mentor them. And then the second major thing for me would be making sure that I help facilitate a good customer experience for our clients. Sherry's Ranch holds 25 girls a week, so that's a lot of juggling of ladies. My relationship takes on different roles based on what the girls' needs are. I have women from all over the world that work here, all different walks of life. I have girls that got into the, became a sex worker through nefarious reasons and maybe they're coming off the streets. I have women that are in college and they're choosing to 
uh, pay their way through college. I've got a uh, single mother that likes to work one week a month and she's able to support her and her child off of that. If you're 21 and you're coming into this, may look at me as a mother. Some look at me as a boss. Some look at me as a mentoring friend. So whatever they need is what I am to them in that moment. I think that people absolutely have misconceptions as to what a madam is. I have seven kids. I'm married. I like to knit. I like to cook. I don't talk about what I do outside of here. I don't talk about who I am. I don't talk about what I do. I don't want to subject my children to um, the misinformed people that are going to say disparaging things. When I'm at home in home life, I'm just mom. So what do you think, Joyzelle? Not exactly what you would expect as a madam. No, it's kind of messed up, but I wasn't expecting her to be a mom Mm -hmm. to begin with. So that was very surprising to hear. When you when you think of a a brothel madam, like what do you see in your head? I just see I kind of go back in time. Like I go back to the old timey brothels in my head and I just see like like the the Wild West or something. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Just not modern day because I don't know what modern day looks like until now. Right. But I definitely see just an older woman with like, I don't know, a bun, high bun. She's like very old and very shrewd and uh-huh. very much like, where's my money? Right. I mean, that's that's what I see. Right. Because right. I, I feel like this is a this sounds like a profession that's very much like so it's salacious, but sure. also seems to I mean, on TV, you always it's always equated to like a criminal act. So in my mind, I, I tend to the first thing I imagine is somebody who's just not a nice person. Right. Very much a money. Almost hungry. like a female pimp. Sort right. Of. Exactly. Right. A female like a grandma pimp. And that's what that's really why I like Dina was part of the reason I wanted to talk to her is because I feel like. A, that's sort of a stereotype that's been created by pop culture. Exactly. Right? Cause, cause that's Media, what we see movies, in films yeah. and television and stuff. Yep. And, uh, you know, Dina is representative of, I guess, the the modern legal madam who is someone you would have no idea with. I mean, someone you would bump into shopping for groceries on the weekends. You right. Know, someone, it's crazy. Someone who's dropping her kids off for, you know, you know sports what it is? practice. I think of the female version of Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Yeah, well. And if you guys don't know, any mention of Littlefinger is going to uh, bring about the conversation this character. Down. Yeah, yeah. Littlefinger is not a very <laughs> nice guy. But uh, but so as you see, it's kind of it, to me it was sort of interesting because she is this homey person. She is this mom at home. She has kids. You know her hobbies including knitting. Uh, she actually runs like a a little um, animal ranch on her premises. I know she has like chickens and roosters oh, really? and stuff. Yeah, oh. so it's, it seems like a very like quaint lifestyle in the Nevada desert. And then she kind of I think applies those maternal instincts in a kind of completely different way right. uh, when she punches in over at Sherry's ranch. She and she makes sure to say that she doesn't mix both. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's that, there's a divining line there. Uh, obviously, she keeps her personal life private, but I think that some of the things that she applies in her personal life is probably what, what makes her a good madam uh, in her professional life. You know, obviously, as she explained, there's different types of women that come into this place. So as a from a managerial standpoint, I think you have to sort of, you know, shape yourself to kind of accommodate everyone to be there for them, but then to also be their boss, right? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it kind of sounds like you just, you have a lot of employees from all different walks of life, which is kind of how it 
sometimes works, I guess, in uh, like right. office environments, too. You're just not in that same environment. And this, this is something we touched on on a previous podcast when we had uh, Ginger Banks yeah. here. And yeah. it's kind of funny what, you know, I think people don't realize how many how many more people are doing this today. Um, there's, you know, like she said, for example, you know, I have a single mom that comes here one week out of the month, makes her money and then goes That's back it. home. Yeah. I have a feeling that single mom's friends, a, a great many of them probably have no idea that this is where she's making her extra cash. It's awesome, kind of, how this is a, like, a, she, you know, some people treat this as like a, almost like a freelance thing. Exactly. You know? Yeah. These aren't places where women are being forced to do anything against their will. I mean, they might be there for bad reasons. They might have had some trouble right, we in don't know. life or whatever, right. but nobody's forcing them there. There's, there's no human trafficking in a legal brothel like this. There's no uh, aggressive pimp behavior in, in a legal brothel like this. No. Um, for whatever decision those women decided to come, they pretty much have the ability to leave whenever they want. Exactly. They have their own agency. We refer to our ladies as A-ladies and to as courtesans, somebody who is a professional in what they're doing. So that's what these ladies learn. They learn how to be true courtesans versus a prostitute and in order to do that they need to learn that there's different ways of doing different things whether um, it's a blow job a hand job a straight lay and that's what they do is they learn their craft they have to be able to pass an STD test with a licensed state doctor they can't have any felonies or warrants they have to obtain a business license escorts and strip clubs and girls on the street you're not getting that so the ladies have to do a DC, which is a dick check, to make sure that they don't visually see any possible STDs, herpes, warts, seepage, uh, critters that you might have. If you have any of these things, we will probably politely let you know you should probably see a doctor, and at that point you need to... Uh, pull your drawers up and go. <laughs> it's important, it's for the lady's safety as well as for other customer's safety. That's why everything's done with a condom. Even oral, um, let's say you wanna go down on her, there's a dental dam there. No transfer of bodily fluids. In a brothel, everything is protected. All sexual acts are protected. I've seen and heard just about everything there is to see in here. Every once in a while, I'm still surprised by something. So I mean, and that keeps the job interesting, but I had this one customer that came in and, and, um, and he just wanted a really pretty girl to punch him in the face multiple times. Balloon fetish was really off for me. Having the balloon involved in the sex act, the, the feel of the balloons, the squeaking of the balloons, the, the blowing up of the balloons, all of that. That was a little weird for me to wrap my mind around. She makes a point to say that these are these ladies are not prostitutes, right. that they're courtesans. Courtesans. I, I wonder why she's... Is there any legal, I guess, definition of prostitute versus courtesan, or is it just no. the stereotype that she's trying to avoid? It's the, it's the optics. It's the stereotype. You know, I, I think, you know, she wants to do her best to distinguish the difference between, you know, employees of her ranch and, you know, a streetwalker on the Vegas Strip or something like that, I think is, is you know. So she's just trying to say it's more professional yes, for her. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, it's like when you hear the term prostitute, it immediately kind of drives a negative connotation. Don't you think? 
I guess maybe because I'm just like instinctually. I mean, you know, it, as erroneous as that might be, you know, I feel like when you hear anyone mention prostitute, like you could you could say courtesan to your grandmother and she's not going to have a negative reaction. I don't know. Prostitute and courtesan, I feel like I, maybe because I because of the generation I'm raised in. I don't know. I'm, I'm more sex positive, so I don't think of mm-hmm. prostitute as like worse than courtesan. I actually kind of equate them, which is funny, though, because the term sex worker didn't even come onto the scene until the 1970s. Wow. So it was like up until then, it was just really prostitute was the word for, so for everything. Right. Yeah. So I find that very interesting that she wants people to know that these are not prostitutes in the sense of how other people think of like, oh, they're just walking the streets or whatever. Right. I mean, what about you? I mean, is there a difference? I mean, because now you're kind of accidentally putting them all in the same category. Is there a difference between someone that works at Cherry's Ranch, uh, someone that has a, you know, like a formally a back page uh, I just see them as sex workers. Or or someone who is, you know, uh, walking the track. I don't know. You got like, uh, I guess if we were going to equate it freelance wise, like you always, you know, you're Mm -hmm. a freelance photographer or you know and then you do what what kind of photography do you do maybe you're a fashion photographer maybe you're this or that but i think at the end of the day you're just a photographer photographer, so you're a sex worker i understand that she's making the the, she's drawing that line um because prostitute which i mean for me it doesn't but you know for many people that is a negatively charged word well i think that's what it comes down to i think i mean you, you have an open mind with that but unfortunately not everyone does and there's a lot of hypocrisy here right i mean there's a lot of people that i'm sure go to the ranch that would talk negatively about prostitution outside of it. You know what I mean? That are still patrons. I mean, you never see well, which hi- is, hypocrites which like is you funny. do when it comes to sex work. Because, like, the laws against selling sex are pretty new. Like, they've only been around the past hundred or so years. Right. And, like, so I, I wanted to research, okay, well, what, what? how was it back then? Like, would people be arrested for uh, being a prostitute or whatever? But apparently, here's a cool tidbit. In 1721... In Louisiana, in the colony of Louisiana, there were like fewer than 700 men, which excludes men held in slavery, by the way. And the French government decided to send 80 women to the colony from France via ship in the hopes that those men in the colony wouldn't have sex with Native American women, but would instead have sex with these women. Oh, my God. And these women were jailed uh, for being prostitutes in France. So they were in jail and the government sent them over to the colony. And at the time in the colony, they were actually thought of as like pretty high up women. They were the only women among 700 men, 80 women, which I was like, okay, this math sounds horrible. 700 (laughs) men to 80 women. Um, But the whole point was that it was a very racial and Call, you know, this colony yeah, like way they, of thinking. They, they were trying to keep the, the pure blood right, alive. Right, keep the culture and don't, yeah, don't have sex with these Native American women, have sex with these French women. And they were thought of as respectable. And there's um, one historian made the remark that almost all of Louisiana's most important families of French descent trace their origin to, the, to these women. Wow. Right. So I was like, oh, you know, there was a time. And you said that they were treated like like upper class citizens. It said here? that they were they were thought of as respectable. Wow. Yeah, legal historian Judith uh I may be pronouncing the name wrong. Apologies. Judy Judith Kelleher Schaefer um described them as respectable women. That's wild. No, I, I was not familiar with that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Right. You know, there's it's this, I'm guessing in France because they were jailed for prostitution, they were right. really discriminate against and you know criminalized but then when you bring them here it's it's a whole nother story when all of a sudden they're part of like right you know what was interesting too is it's still technically it's not a federal law it's a state law 
um, is, is how they handle this, right? right. So, and that's why basically brothels, I guess, started popping up in Nevada in the in the mid eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah. and basically they were that state itself, which is the only state of the union in present day that still has legal prostitution. Uh, but they were able to kind of forge this zoning law where as long as the county has less than 700,000 people within the county, it is legal to have a brothel. So it has to be in a number less than 700,000. Exactly. It's got to be less wow. than 700,000. So and, and there, I think there are a couple of counties that are battling that right now because the counties have gotten larger and they have uh, brothels. There's there's eight counties in Nevada where it's legal. Seven counties, seven of those eight counties have brothels within them right now. Most of those counties are actually farther away from Vegas around like the kind of Reno area. But I think there is, I'm not too sure about this, but I think one or two of those counties are like they're getting kind of close. Uh, so there's some, there's some worrying about what's going to happen when they hit that number. But yeah, but that was it. I mean, these are old laws that were kind of forged, you know, in the mid 1800s, I guess, and are still able to stay true today. Working in a legalized brothel where it's regulated gives an opportunity for, let's say, a sex worker to get empowered by the other women around them. Because one of the biggest things that I do is they have to give me a goal. And a lot of times they don't even know how to do that. What is it that you want to do in five years? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be working in here? Do you want to be going back to school? Do you want to own your own business? And being surrounded by other women that are doing it and have done it, that empowers you. That shows this young adult, this young female that, hey, I can go somewhere with this. I don't have to be trapped in the stereotypical box. I can actually use this as a stepping stone to something greater and bigger. With all of the uh, entertainment industry people that are now coming forward saying this has happened to me and that's happened to me, I think that it's actually very empowering that women are now at a point um, where they feel that they can comfortably come forward and know that there aren't going to be uh, negative ramifications coming on them for coming forward, something that's not going to affect their career. We actually hold sexual harassment classes here um, with the staff and with because it's not okay. And there are boundaries that have to be have to be kept. Even my ladies have boundaries that you don't cross. And if you choose to cross it, you're leaving. So I can count on one hand how many experiences in 12 years we've had to get to a girl's room and throw somebody out. And to me, that's huge. Huge with the amount of customers that come through here. Prostitution is not going anywhere. It's always been around. It will always be around. So giving a legal option to sex workers and customers, to me, it just, the, all the way around, it makes better sense. Dina's last statements there, too. I mean, they're fairly protected um, because of the state laws. But it reminds us of the conversations that we had a couple of weeks ago when President Trump passed the FOSTA bill, basically, where many sex workers now and in what is perceived as a, as a way to curtail human trafficking. Many sex workers are upset with the uh, the abilities that they have to screen their own clients and how they think it's going to be much more dangerous for them as right. sex workers. Right. In, the in, bill targeted websites that uh, help facilitate sexual trafficking. Right. And one of those websites that it shut down was Backpage.com, which, you know, a lot of uh, sex workers have come out in defense of it, saying that this was their way to screen customers, which is what, you know, you're talking right. about. Right. And now with Trump kind of spearheading that bill and, you know, these resources are being taken away. Right. It kind of does put, you know, 
it brings up this whole sex working industry into the spotlight. And this, I don't know. That, I it's I mean, obviously nobody wants human trafficking and everyone wants everything they can do right, to prevent exactly. these awful things that happen. But um, you know, depending on who you talk to, you hear that that there's, you know, these it's a slight percentage of the people that are utilizing these sites. They are still doing it in an illegal capacity in most different states, so there's that argument as well. Right. right? I mean it's you know, prostitution is not legal in forty nine out of the fifty states of the country. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, Nevada is the only state with, with legal prostitution. Whoa. Yeah. And but you know, the thing that's nice about Sherry's Ranch is, you know, I don't that's something you need to think about is like would this would professional sex workers, would that bill maybe drive more employees to a place like Sherry's Ranch, right? Because it's a safe, kind of a safe place to be a sex worker when you don't have the ability to manage your clientele independently, right? Because, you know, I think the fear for a lot of people, too, is that this could actually bring the rise of the pimp back a little bit because, you know, because of these websites, women are able to do their own businesses, find their own clients, screen their own clients. You know, you take that element out if they're still, you know, if they're still necessary trying to fulfill that sex worker objective, uh, even and especially if it's in a bad situation, right? If someone is, is... you know, destitute or there's some type of maybe an addiction issue or something like that. That's unfortunately when people start being taken advantage of, uh, you know, being roped in by, you know, managerial people in the sex world that have not the best future plan for you. Sherry's obviously not somebody like that. Yeah. Someone has to wonder, like, if you want to pass a bill like that, you know, would they ever push for legal prostitution like brothels and other areas? I mean, to help that issue, because I think that could be a good... a decent solution. It's like Dina says, prostitution is not going away. It's the oldest profession of all time. And no matter what happens and no matter what part of the world you're going to be in, there's going to be some form of exchange between money and sex. Right. And then even in the example that I gave about back then Louisiana and the French colonies, you know, when it became a state, it's not like the cops didn't target people who sold sex. They were targeted. And they basically, uh, there weren't any laws that banned that outright the transaction of um, uh, money for sex, sex for money. But there were there were like weird laws that were like, oh, uh, like a woman could be charged for being notoriously lewd. Right. Um, and which is it's kind of like this gray area. It was like, <laughs> what? So what is that? Or a woman could be charged for committing scandal or disturbing the peace. Right. Right. Which is like, oh, so she paid. So somebody paid her money to have sex and her that's like what she's charged with like well, they, i don't understand like it, there's a consenting party here and then it's just very much like oh these sex acts are so criminal and they're so bad for society totally. well when you have these vague terms like being lewd and whatever right i mean it's just like these kind of scandal old, old creepy men that are making these uh, determinations based on who knows what no i mean there are people forget that there, there's still like a ton of there's, outdated laws i mean i think massachusetts Still has a law where like you can't fire your musket on a Sunday or some shit, and then there. But then there's basically another law where I remember even when I was going to college, like people, girls had trouble getting apartments because if you, there was an old uh, law that if if more than five women lived together in the same establishment without a male, it was considered a brothel, no matter what. And that law was still in existence, like you know, like it still might be in existence today. I mean, it's obviously people don't prosecute for these things. You know. No. So when you have one law that's like, oh, you can't do this weird thing. Like, like it's illegal to do this like weird act on this time of day right. or whatever. That's one thing. But right. then when you're kind of just trying to police what people 
can and can't do with their bodies that isn't necessarily harmful, but sure. you kind of call it like well, crime the, against nature. It becomes the morality police. Right. And, and, and it's and just that's, like, that's all a slippery right, slope. this is a society crime. Right. And who's calling this, uncon- like who's really calling the shots for this then? Right. But that's what's interesting about it being a state law as well, a lot of these things, is you, you kind of see sort of the state, the states that are, you know, sort of living in a certain era or other states that have sort of moved on from certain perspectives. Right. Uh, But there's still, yeah, a ton of creepy laws out there. So although society kind of sort of as a whole, generally speaking, is against sex work or it's it's been criminalized in the past and all these things, it's still, like you said, there are people that still pay for this. This is an industry that isn't going away. Yeah, well, you know, as Dina talks about throughout the piece is that, you know, this is a service at the end of the day. And so these women are highly trained in certain ways. And uh, we have a bonus clip coming up where we kind of discuss some of the variety of the clientele uh, that's sort of exceptional um, because there are different people that have different needs for different reasons. It's not just as simple as someone just wanting sex. Most people think that a brothel is exclusively about sex and sex acts. A big part of what uh, a cus- most customers are coming in for, it's about the companionship that comes along with it. The sex is only a small part of it. Say it's a widower and he was in love with his, his wife and he doesn't know if he can have another relationship. So it's easier and safer to come to a brothel where you don't have to have that emotional commitment. We have customers that are blue collar workers all the way up to financially well off. Um, We have celebrities that come through, we have government people that come through. So there isn't any one type of customer that comes through here. We have a lot of handicapped people that come in here from being paralyzed or maybe there's some mental challenges there. Here they don't get judged, they get treated just like everybody else, you know, and they can have a intimate experience that they can't have in their normal life. We've got a lot of customers in here that have erectile problems, connecting them with women that can help them achieve an orgasm. We actually have clients that are from another culture, and part of that culture is to have them come to a brothel, and the whole purpose of them being here is to learn how to pleasure a female, so that his wife, when he marries her, is like, yes, this was awesome. So that was Dina, uh, the uh, madam of the legal brothel, uh, Sherry's Ranch, uh, located outside of Las Vegas in Nevada. And maybe you learned some stuff today. Maybe uh, you have a different uh, opinion on how a brothel actually functions, um, or maybe you don't. But uh, either way, I appreciated the time that Dina gave us, and uh, I thought it was interesting to sort of lose some of the stereotypes I had imagined uh, right. from you know before walking in that place, as opposed to how I felt when I left. Exactly. Dina seems to be be just a very normal woman who runs a brothel. That's right. Uh, So thank you very much for joining us and uh, listening to the podcast. Please tune in to the video of this interview, uh, which you can find on yahoonews.com. Next episode, we're going to be taking a look at income inequality. Uh, In particular, we're going to hear the thoughts of one percenter Nick Hanauer, uh, a very wealthy man who made most of his fortune as one of Amazon's earliest investors. Uh, But he has a dire message for the rest of the one percent, and that basically is wake up um, if we still see the uh, economic inequality that we see today, at a certain point, the poor are going to rise up and we have a potential revolution on our hands. 
Uh, So that's next week, and we'll see you then. Catch us next week with an all-new episode for Unfiltered, the podcast, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.